everybody. Hello. Hey, I'm Alan. And I'm not. <laughs> because how could you be when I'm Alan? That's Brent. Brent is looking as beautiful as ever. That's uh, true. Sitting next to me here in the room in Studio A, Microsoft main campus. We're in a different room today. We are, because I... It's, it's only vaguely um, disturbing. Because we normally meet at 8, and 8 was too early for me today. And so How's today, the car today we're meeting at 9. You know, we have an Audi. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to get back to that story. This is A-B testing, episode number 18. So if you're listening to the wrong podcast, now is the time to pause this and, and switch to the one you meant to listen to. No, no, no. <laughs> this is a better podcast than the one you were planning. Okay, so um, uh, we have an Audi. And Audi apparently is, in, translated to English, means every repair is freaking expensive. Is, is that the acronym? Like I, I think so. I, I have to figure it out. I'm sure there's all... a one. Let me just give you an example. Just so happened both of our cars, a Toyota and an Audi, both needed service this week. Audi needed its – sorry, this, the Prius needed its um, 95,000-mile um, maintenance. Go in there. They check it all out, do everything. I'm out of there for 40 bucks. Nice. The basic maintenance on the Audi starts around two something. Yeah, and that's just like to change a gasket. Right. That that's like okay, it's going to be a hundred to open the hood because we need a specialist for that. <laughs> it's a great car, but man, <laughs> man, when it needs work done, it it hurts. So anyway, I'm so, a huge fan of. So I had to leave it overnight because they had to clean the carbon out of something. A fuel injector, probably. Sure, sure, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I had to get a ride to work, so I couldn't get here by 8, so I'm here now. And uh, that is a long intro. <laughs> you know, I had, I, I've been experimenting with um, playing with a diff- bunch of different podcast uh, players. I finally found like one I like. I need like a really simple podcast player. Most ones I've looked at are like super complex with all kinds of features, etc. Uh, too much, too much. I'm sure if I listen to podcasts all day... The Kitchen Sink podcast player would be great, but I wanted one that was simple. But there was one that I used for a while um, until it pissed me off where it had an option to skip like the first N number of seconds or minutes of any podcast. So if you know that a particular podcast doesn't get good till say the third or minute or the the 30th minute, you can just like set it up so you skip all that junk. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's let's talk about – Testing and software and quality stuff. I think yeah. I I have a feeling, I have a hunch, I have an inkling of an idea that Brent has a bit of an announcement to make. What do you think about that, Brent? Yeah, and and the fact that it's written up on the Kanban board oh, certainly helps a great deal. Look, you are breaking the third wall of podcasting. Talk about your little announcement. What happens Dip. in the podcast stays in the podcast, apparently. No, so I'm um, very happy to announce uh, this is the, the first place I'm doing in a public forum. I'll probably be writing a, a blog post, uh, the obligatory blog post on it over the weekend. Uh, but I have a new job. Uh, today Brent will be cleaning bathrooms in the studios. No. If, All right, go on. Sorry. If uh, they're willing to pay my salary to do that, uh, no, they would still have to, <laughs> they'd still have to pay me more. Um, <clears throat> the as an aside, the, in, because we never do asides yeah, this show. Yeah, the the you know the um, the in California, which is that that's my home state. The guys who hold the signs that say "slow and stop." Do you know how much uh, they got paid 20 years ago? 20 years ago? Did you do that job 20 years ago? No. How much did they get paid 20 years ago? $50 an hour. Should just flip signs. I have an announcement to make. I will be resigning. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, when I share that with people, they go, what the hell? They just sit there and twist signs all day for 50 an hour. But you know what? Their day goes by so slowly. Where mine goes by, I go, crap, I still have work to do, and it's 6 o'clock. Yes. The, that's, that's, back then, that's the rate they had to charge to solve the attrition problem because the job yeah. is so friggin' boring. That is interesting. Yeah. I think there's a whole 
my head is spinning because I read a lot of um, psychology of how the brain works kind of books and, and what affects you know motivation, like the Dan Pink stuff. I want to think maybe there's some way to change that job up and give them – I'm not going to brainstorm the whole solution here, but I think I could come up, given some time and some brainstorming, a way to make that job interesting enough for people who can go batshit bored doing it. I'll come back next podcast yep. for that solution. We'll solve. We will take suggestions in the We mailbag. will solve that and many other construction union problems all sure. in the next podcast. Sure. All right. So uh, you have although, a new job. Uh, and your new job is at Microsoft? It is. Oh, good. It is. I hear they're a pretty good company. I am. Um, of course, they hired you. <laughs> uh, I will be going into uh, a full-time uh, data science job. Uh, my title shortly will be data scientist manager. They can't see the air quotes you put around that data science. What, is, what does that mean? What does a data science manager do? Manage data science people. That's great. What do data science people do? Um, so the, the, they use the data to help um, create actionable decisions. That, that, in essence, is what every data scientist is doing. What's the difference between sort of business intelligence, like we there's this data, it's very obvious what we do, and data science? Are they related? Are they overlap? How there, you- there, there's an overlap. Um, business intelligence is um, – there, there's an overlap in terms of the, the technology used. Data science team will often go um, – deeper in in sort of the technical aspects you can kind of view it sort of the difference between this is a hyperbole but a difference between a pm and a and a dev in a in a software engineering world they're both working on technology but um one is focused on uh you'll say executives and communication and visualization and the other is more focused on processing the data um turn it into something actionable. Now, I intend to sort of do both. Much like uh, we've said here before, in the services world, building the most reliant or reliable service that no one uses is kind of pointless, and it's the same thing. A lot of, lot of data science stuff, you can spend months working on it and then discover it's a non-problem. Yep. Right, and it's something you want to avoid. So I was reminded, and again, because in this podcast we never go off on tangents, uh, I came across a free ebook from Microsoft on data science in the cloud, which I haven't read yet. Uh, but and I'm too lazy to probably look up the link and put it in our our uh, podcast. But you should put uh, it in the podcast. It's I will I will make an attempt now that Brent has put pressure. At on minimum, me. you should send me the link. But it's data science in the cloud with Microsoft Azure machine learning and R. And I'm a big fan of R. And I don't know if you caught this announcement. Did you know Microsoft bought R? We bought. Um, yeah, I don't know that we bought R. We bought a company that was doing a bunch of stuff with R. No, let me look it up. Hold on. I'm just, but I do know a guy who's going to that team. You know a guy who knows a guy? Yep. So on the revolutionaryanalysis.com blog, the company uh, Revolution, Revolution Analytics, who make R, were acquired by Microsoft. On January 23rd was the announcement was made. Yes. That I was aware of. So that's it, pretty cool. R is fun. And I think I don't think you have to be data sciencey. Um, I think I don't even know that's such a that term. I think the term data science. Reason I asked you the questions about it is I think data science and data scientist are words and titles that are still evolving into something that can be commonly understood. We are likely to go through the typical Microsoft process on this. You mean where we swing the pendulum madly until it lands somewhere in the middle? Where we... Um, so there was a slide I, I saw a couple of years ago that compared um, uh, data science to, to uh, sex in high school. Warning, PG section of the podcast starting now. Continue, yeah. you, Brent. In essence, everybody wants it everyone claims they've already had it and no one actually has 
I am. Oh, my. In, in terms of the fun things that we've talked about here a couple times on, on the podcast. and, and um, We have not talked about high school sex before on the podcast. No, but in terms of the, there's a there's – a, a couple podcasts ago, you were talking about unique things about Microsoft. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And one of the unique things I, – I, at least I think it's unique – is um, Microsoft will – uh, will pick up a term that's commonly used out in the world, and then once they find a term like data science that they're very fond of, uh, completely ignore what the, the definition that the rest of the world uses. Yeah. Oh, may I peeve for a moment? Go ahead. I, I don't know if we ever, ever brought this up. I may have peeved about this before our podcast series ever started. But uh, there's a team at Microsoft who makes a... Uh, development environment and compiler um i won't actually name the product name you can probably figure it out um because we uh, have so many of those compiler teams they were really excited about uh making some tools for exploratory testing Uh, to make exploratory test and and they wanted to blog about this and write about it and get the industry all excited about what they're doing with exploratory testing so um i don't think you need to have read every magazine in the world or paid attention too much to the world. But if you've looked at all at testing outside of Microsoft, at all, when people talk about exploratory testing and they want to abbreviate it, Brent, what did they say? E.T. They say E.T., not as an E.T. phone note home, but E.T. exploratory testing. This team... It, this, mi- is, this do, by the way, doing the Microsoft is approach. a challenging algorithm. I know. Right. The, it's the wait. What? How should we abbreviate this? How about the the third letter? Of, no, the sec. The first letter of each name of <gasps> each word. Anyway, this team was going off, calling it all their all their articles call it XT. And I looked at it, my jaw dropped, and once I got a crane and pulled it back up to my face, I sent an email. Actually, I didn't send the email right away. I screamed and swore and laughed for a while, and then I sent them an email and said, "Hey, um, so." There's this term that you're using uh, everywhere in the industry I can find. Example, 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 example. Uh, Exploratory testing is referred to as ET. Why don't you guys use ET also and fit in with the industry? Wait, 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 dot, dot, dot. Reply. Oh, reply. Good. I'm looking forward to common sense. No, all our documents already use XT and... We have customers that we've said that to, so we're going to stick with XT. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes I can't make this stuff up. I should write a book about stupid things people do, but and people would think I was exaggerating. I really think that could go in. Doug Copeland, if you're listening, you want to write Microsurfs 2, I will give you ideas. All right? I'm just going to leave it right there. I, I As many as you want. You want... <laughs> Little side plot ideas, great. I will fill you in with trivia. Mary Jo Foley, I don't have nothing for you. Um, but um, anyway, you want to write some good fiction about Microsoft, I'll help you out. So, And executives oh, here at Microsoft, it'll all be okay. He won't disclose yeah. anything. You know what? As long <laughs> as I work hard and you know, really apply myself, um, karma will take care of me. Okay. All right. Hey, um, oh, I remember. We're doing a podcast. We are. <laughs> I totally forgot. <laughs> so uh, congratulations on the new job. Sounds fun. I'm sure we will hear much more about it in upcoming podcasts where yep. you talk about what you do and I make fun of data science. I can't wait. So uh, you wrapped up then on your old job, uh, the way we transition jobs at Microsoft. Oh, did you want to talk about how you went about getting that job? Yeah. So this was my first um, time through the interview process. You got to be kidding me! And How long have you been at Microsoft? No, no, since we changed it. Oh, did we change it? We did. Tell me about what's changed, because sometimes it's changed less or more than others. But tell me about it. Oh, uh, uh, so have you experienced uh, a thing called a feedback-only interview? Um, I don't. Th- I've done a lot of interviews for internal candidates. And we've. I'm not sure how it's different than before. So tell me. So, so the team that I went through. It's just, uh, I believe, I haven't fully asked my manager, uh, uh, my new manager, is this exactly what's happening? But um, 
I've now seen the interview process from from experiencing it myself versus or as well as um, uh, seeing other people go through it. My employees, for example, uh, Alan's team just picked up one of my employees. Uh, his last day is also today. That's uh, right. I saw him in the hallway a couple times this week, kind of checking in. Yeah, hey, we're already talking about how how uh, he can come and help fix your guys' stand-up. Um, <laughs> the, uh, anyway, it's very... Wait, hold on a second. Brent, put your face over here. <laughs> Ow. All right, go on. The It's very different. So a feedback-only interview pro- process, as I understand it, is you... you you go talk with a, a couple of people. They don't give a hire, no hire. They just write up their feedback, and the decision's still on the manager, who can then. No, I have not seen that before. Even for our internal loops, we are still making hire, no hire decisions. So I can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah, I, I'm going to get uh, more in depth and on this. Uh, to understand what's going on Be- there. Because the I have other been thing that's- uh, harping for a long time, I'm sure on this podcast too, that uh, one thing we really do stupidly at Microsoft is we'd interview internal candidates often the same way we interview a brand new hire. And it's just idiotic and I hate it. So this is a good trend if this is happening more across the company. Yeah, so we like the process. But so far, I'm, I'm really digging this process. The other thing that I found out as going through this HR, you know the no poaching rule. Thou shalt. Is, 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 is that an unwritten rule? It is not. You're kidding me. As of now, <laughs> I, I I think that's a very good thing. You I can think- go to the HR portal, and there's. Uh, I'll send you the link later. There is a. There is a detail. Readers, he's talking to me, not you. Listeners. Right, yeah, yeah, but yeah. No, sorry, guys. This will not be going out to the podcast. But there is a, there is a detail um, uh, page on there that explicitly says the no poaching rule no longer exists. If a person comes to your team and they wish to leave in one day, they may. Yeah. And there's a recommendation around staying like six months. But yeah, but you can like, oh, wow, not what I expected. The, you can't get stuck with the bait and switch. And managers, and they explicitly called this out. There is, there is no, no poaching rule. It's basically, it's, it's very much around empowering employees. Well, to be clear, uh, maybe... Let's make sure our definitions of poaching are the same. Poaching isn't just leaving your job within a day. Poaching is me, you know, typically in the past, a manager would have to, you could drop hints maybe, but you'd, uh, someone would have to come to you looking for a job. But the, for poaching would mean I could, you know, I'm not a hiring manager, but I do a lot of recruiting for our team. I could email, you know, so-and-so and say, hey, I think you'd be a great fit on our team. You want to come talk about it? Which used to be kind of frowned upon. Uh, majorly frowned upon. Yeah, but it was the easiest thing. <laughs> if you on, get caught, it's the easiest thing on the planet, right? So, but the thing is, hey, Alan, we bend the rules. You send email to a BCC list of people that may include only one person. Say, hey, my team has some openings. If you know of anyone who may be interested, we you don't shake your head. We, yeah, teams managers totally cheated. There that was way. all kinds of things. I don't know anyone besides me. Hey, thanks. It, 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 all you had to do is. Let's say I wanted Alan on my team. All I had to do was Not call Alan and Not say, hey, happen. Alan, I want you on my team. Never. Here's what we do. And Alan goes, oh, that's fantastic. And I'll say, great. Here's the career position. Can you send me an email saying you found this on career and you're interested in chatting with me? And Alan would say, why, yes, that will take five minutes of my life. Now I have evidence that Alan talked to me first. Great. Done. Great. And, right. that, and then I have to go through a six-hour interview loop on your team where they ask me like how to reverse a string and, and, and silly things like that. Yeah. So as I was going back to – so the interview process – oh, and on, on the HR web, the, at the very end of this paragraph, it explicitly says, the only control managers have to 
keep people on their team is make your team more attractive than everyone else. Yeah, you know, this is I love this and I'm going to take full credit for this because uh at last year's I've talked about this before. I gave a soapbox talk on I forget what it was. Actually the topic was, but one of the things I mentioned in this talk, this little 5-minute talk was um that people should be free to move around the company whenever they wanted. Mm-hmm. That happened. Thank you. And the way you tell the good managers from the bad managers is the bad managers don't have anyone reporting to them anymore. So does that... Although does, that's not actually as, as, as I've discovered from little pockets throughout the company. That's not entirely true. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think we've all the way transitioned over to this at the, all. There is a... I know several managers... A lot of managers who, who can keep people on their team... By scaring the crap out of them. Yeah. Well, we'll find no matter what system's in place, people are going to game the system. So if people are going to game the system, I'd much rather have a less restrictive uh, system that at least encourages uh, good behavior. Yeah. This Awesome. This- I- I'm glad to hear examples of that. I know uh, for every example you give, I and probably many of our Microsoft listeners can give counterexamples where that's not happening or managers are saying... Uh, no one, no one can leave the team until you know we ship. I guarantee it's happening. It's happening, and the like these are the easiest things on the planet to work through because the problem is is that um, there's a lot of employees when their manager says this doesn't do their own research. This is again another one of those very similar to the XT phenomenon where where people internally. Don't research the truth. And in this particular case, right, um, all you have to do, if you have a manager that's telling you this, all you have to do is go talk to your journalist and say, hey, my manager's told me this. Is this actually true? And most generalists will go, your manager can't tell you that. I know, but... Honestly, and since we're pretty frank and open and no one, no, no execs have yelled at us yet about what we say yep. about Microsoft in this podcast, my experience in my coming up on 20 years of Microsoft has been that HR is much more concerned about not breaking rules that would cause lawsuits than actually in enforcing rules that would help employee growth or freedom or, or you know, coming aligning with the handbook. Uh, it can depend on the generalist, I know, but I feel like HR, in my experience, is there to make sure lawsuits don't happen. I so I I make it part of my business to to get tight with with HR, and I will. Well, t- I used to do that, but every time I got tight with one, they get fired or leave for another job. And, so, I, and I will tell you that... <laughs> There's a lot of turnover there. I will tell you that every single one of them that I've talked with is really is really focused on, on getting the right candidates and getting and making great teams. And, and they do have to obey constraints around legality. But um, the, you can influence that. Good. Well, I hope then that that becomes more of the norm for those HR generalists. Uh, that would be great because I think you definitely need support of the whole company for some of these team and job movement things to work in a way that benefits Microsoft. Yeah, there's still – so I ended up with a four-week transition. Still a little long. It seems like it, right? Yeah. Um, although the guy you, you took I think ended up – with a two week, so yeah, I would like I, to I see, see this as a good way towards the journey. We're we're by no means at the destination yet. Yeah, and let's talk about that briefly. I know we have other stuff to talk about, but I think uh, often two weeks isn't the uh, the ramp down cost, much as it's the the price you pay to just through bureaucracy of getting like a finding an office for this person and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I would like to see transitions be two weeks, but uh, with a sort of graduated, like I may spend two days or half of every day, uh, at least that second week, uh, or maybe working through those weeks, uh, working on the on both teams. So combining the ramp down with the ramp up. 
I always commit when I whenever I'm getting a new employee, that's always what I offer to the guy. Because what I want is the date. And I'm like, hey, let's set it for two weeks. And uh, if if you guys can't close in terms of the transition by that two weeks, right? Um, I've talked with I talked with the guy. They think they can get it ninety percent the way done in two weeks. So let's set that as the date, and whatever remains, I'm happy to have them continue to do that. Yeah, up to another. I've week. had I've had, I've seen that happen quite a bit. Where hey, you know, I'm starting work on X date, but I have this other project I got to finish up. And I think that's fine. I have no problem with that. Yeah. The the one thing about the interview process that doesn't appear to have changed though is the questions. Aww. Right. So so there there still appears to be the the formula. Right. Uh, oh, you you look at their resume and you you ask what's. What if you do the passion question and then you do the group fit question yeah. and then you do the coding question and the coding question is always a useless function and, and then you do the puzzle question and, and um, uh, yeah, I push my team hard not to do that, especially for, especially for internal candidates. It's almost all about fit. And yeah, for me, uh, one of my unofficial titles on the team that I give myself is chief morale officer. I honestly believe that if people like their job, they will do better work at it and, mm-hmm. and, and get more done. So I spend a lot of time making sure they're going to like, trying to figure out if they're going to like working on the team, working on what they're working on, working with the people we have. Uh, I think that's for for an external candidate, I got to find out a lot more about them. So I'm going to go a little bit different direction. But the internal people, uh, often even people external who are returning to Microsoft I will spend at least my interview, and we do multiple interviews so we can aggregate things together, but my interview is a lot about figuring out, are they going to fit in and do well here and and like working here? Um, I know other people focus on other things, but I, I, I yeah, I, I'm we a- need to, the questions need to change too. The way we interview an internal candidate needs to be quite different from the way we interview a brand new hire at Microsoft. I agree with that. The, the, of course you do, because I'm right. You are right. The one thing I'm, I'm seriously considering, though, is what would actually happen if we, as for internal candidates, if we just simply banned coding questions? Well, but like, how much risk would that put us at? <laughs> There's a um, one of the managers on our team uh, is in love with the coding question. And they're going to be an internal candidate who's written these really cool... I look at the portfolio of the resume. Okay, he's done this. That's awesome. I use that. Okay, it's fine. And then we'll get through the loop and say, did anyone ask a coding question? And I'll say, do you have any reason to believe that this person can't code? No, but it's part... You know, I, that's why I can... Yeah, it's... I push back. I, I, I am still fond of the design questions because I, I find that that's... yeah. I think that's good. How would you, you know, architecture, design, those are good discussion right. things. The, uh, but because, coding? Honestly, because I think the way you design an architect in a hour meeting, because you do that in a brainstorming meeting as well, are very similar. The way you code at the whiteboard versus the way you code at your computer, remarkably different. Ho- wholly different. Wholly different. And the reason we do that for new hires is we want to make sure that you kind of want to make sure that they haven't you know, they, they do have a clue about what's going on. They know about how logic and program flow works, and they have an idea how programming languages work to make sure they have not It's really just a resume checker. But for internal? And for internal, there's no reason to do it. I would much rather focus on design and architecture and, and lo- not logic puzzles, but sort of logical working through things and how well can we brainstorm together because that helps me figure out uh, kind of how you think. And that that gives me a even lot then, more information. Even then, it, it's like I, I like what you were saying in terms of the fit, right? I'm going to be working through. Okay, what are your sh- strengths as it comes to solving problems? Not not problem solving in terms of like puzzles, but right. Every team, we have a bunch of crap we got to get done. Right. What what strengths do you bring to bear to help me get crap to done? Right, right, and, and so much of our work, especially now versus uh, years ago, is collaborative. So yeah. I want someone that I can, 
I feel if I can have a good conversation with someone about working through a problem and they're contributing a lot, that's a, that's a, I feel pretty good about that. If I say, if I give them a question and ask them, so how would you do blah? They go, um, I don't, so, uh, maybe I would, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm feeling less good about you. For me, it's interesting. What I what I'm finding now is that there's really only two things at the interview process that I'm highly allergic to. Right? If if I'm interviewing for something because I have a gap on my team, for example, in the new team, mm-hmm. um, then you can look for specific skills. I I I am the first hire. I have a team of five opens, and um, right now I gotta I gotta go. Uh, reverse engineer this problem, but uh, my management believes that I'm going to need a deep machine uh, learning skill set. Okay, and that's hard to find. Like the, the, there's a there's one team at this company that has a whole bunch of them, and that team does a very good job making sure that those people are happy. <laughs> so they're they're hard to poach. Um. <clears throat> The so if I'm if I'm missing a skill gap, I want to I want to test on, on their ability to sort of fill that gap. The other thing is I'm finding that that I am highly allergic to heroes. If I get the sense you're a hero, I'll spend a half a second going, okay, do I have a position or can I construct a position where I need a firefighter and offer this person a, a role where. Heroism is your job, not above and beyond. Right. Right? Um, and more often than not... I think we've talked about that. Heroes are okay if heroes your job. Right. It, that's exactly right. No, you're, you are the team fireman. And just because you consistently put out fires doesn't mean you're any better than anyone else because that, no. by the way, is your job. Yeah, here, being a hero is your job. Right. The, the thing is, is though, if you're a hero on a, on a situation where I don't need a hero and I need a team to work together, that's a problem for me. It, it, it really is. Yeah. It, it, and, and I would imagine as you fill these five positions on your team, th- what you're looking for in a candidate changes as you begin to fill these positions. Yes. Because you're looking for, I imagine, specializing generalists with specializations in machine learning, but those other skills you're going to need as well. Yep. And that fifth hire, each hire is progressively a little bit more harder maybe to fill as you start putting the jigsaw puzzle together. I want. I definitely want it. I want specializing generalists, and I want a diversity of specializations in my team. Yeah. Right? And then once I kickstart that, uh, the 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 execution process I I do, um, will begin blending those guys. It'll begin getting rid of the bottleneck that occurs because of the specialization. Perfect. All right. Hey, looking at the Kanban board, what should we skip? Because <laughs> we have about fifteen minutes left. Let's skip item three. Okay. Do you want to talk about uh, sort of the last project you did on your last team? Is that item two? Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I'm, I'm also very excited, as, as I think we may have talked about this here. No, we, you did last time, I think. Whatever. Um, I am certified in an Agile framework. You are certified, all right. As Thanks. I am certified in an Agile framework known as the Scaled Agile Framework. I got certified in this about a year and a half ago. And last Thursday, uh, I kicked off a planning event for my current team because uh, they want uh, they've done a reorg where we are now going to go back to um, shipping on-prem products so we have some very um, highly I, valued- I didn't realize people still made on-prem products wow yeah, That's cool. SQL Server is still on prem. I'm, I'm just giving you a bad time, man. And it's a it's hugely don't popular. get all defensive. I'm not hugely popular. We also have analysis server, um, uh, and reporting server. And as the team sort of built up the cloud, uh, we kind of 
use the majority of our resources to build up the cloud services. And it's kind of put these other hugely valuable products, um, valued products from, from a customer base, kind of on the, the back burner. And uh, we're getting feedback from customers now that's basically saying, hey, we love this on-prem ecosystem. We still want to continue to use it. Um, we're not quite comfortable with putting all of our data in the cloud. Um, can you guys help us out? So that we did a reorg. And he said, will you pay us money? We'll help you. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going to do. But the whole organization has spent the majority of their time the last two years to doing services. And in services, much more of an agile framework. So when we, when we started thinking through the planning, we're like, um, all right, what did we learn from the cloud? Because no one wants to go back to Waterfall. No one wants to go back to teams of test specialists. Um, and so it was very exciting me being able to pull together um, this scaled Agile planning event, set them up for an, an Agile cadence, even though it's on-prem. And the one really cool thing that they're going to, to do is they're going to have an RTMable build every month. They're going to decouple what engineering produces and its cadence from the release cadence. So they're going to produce a new build every month. They'll They'll let people know um, what features are in well, this. And to be clear, they're going to do builds daily or more often. They are. They're going to release one uh, every month. They will classify one as RTMable, okay. and it'll be up to the business and marketing as to whether or not they RTM. So sure. the engineering team, and this is one of the things that ends up being super powerful, is, as I communicated to the team, the engineering team, you guys, you have no influence over the ship decision which kind of forces them to constantly have an RTMable product. Um, right now, they're going to work towards doing this on a two-month cadence and then build it, build it to a one-month cadence. Um, and then one week. That's actually what they're talking about. Probably well, they probably won't go daily. Goals are great. The, um, but the thing that's really exciting is that right now there is a team of 50 after I've walked them through the, the planning event and walked them through the rationale, uh, I would say 80% of them are like, I see how this works. We can totally achieve those goals with this. It's very, very cool. Cool. So then will you function as any – are you done with them? Will you consult with them as they move forward? Did you leave, oh, any, I, leave any seeds there for them to – when they run into a problem, what do they do without Brent? Uh, that's actually uh, the most common question that's popping up this week. Uh, again, today's my last day on that team, and I said, "Let, let me." What make, will we do without? Let me Brent? make it super clear, because because uh, as Alan knows, every time I leave a team, I usually set up a series of like lunch meetings with with people I've, I've left behind. I stay in communication with with that team. Brent has a trail of bodies across Microsoft. He still communicates with, and I I let them know. Look, please do not let me find out two months from now that there was a question that you knew you could have asked me a month and a half ago and you didn't and you went into the weeds because you didn't. Like, use me as a resource. Don't go, oh, I don't want to bother Brent. And I, It's okay. That's another thing about job movement we need to uh, – remember one company – one thing about encouraging movement around the company is your old team needs to be able to ask you questions. I think it should be common in every case, especially when you're in sort of a leadership position or there's special knowledge you have about how something works. I remember when I left the CE team, Windows CE, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, whenever it was, I got questions about some of the th my things I was working on there for years afterwards. Years. Yeah, it's... And I was okay to answer them. It didn't bother me. I said, okay, just... Sometimes just referring them to someone I knew was the new owner or something, but often it's like the it was just as easy for me to answer. Answering questions, I mean, it, it's it's stupid simple. I'm like I yeah. I don't understand why people um, don't just do that. I think this team will because uh, I spent the better part of the last year really emphasizing and and 
the value of collaboration and knowledge sharing. So I think if they get stuck, instead of, instead of them doing the typical process of going to the internet and spending three yeah. days trying to hunt and gather for themselves. Um, well, cool. Sounds like they're set up for success. It occurs to me that's something that's also perhaps a uh, another Microsoft thing. It's like we were talking about Microsoft. We're like, no, we'll do it ourselves. Well, that's a fractal. You often see ICs. You're like, no, 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 I'm not going to ask Alan this question that you could probably answer in two minutes. I'm going to instead spend three days and research it myself. Yeah, I, I have a three-quarters. We don't have Think Week anymore, but I have three-quarters of a Think Week paper on the title is, and you've heard this phrase before, I've probably mentioned on the podcast, but if only Microsoft knew what Microsoft knew. Yeah. And we just don't share well. We function. I believe Microsoft's size could be a competitive advantage because that shared knowledge, but we don't leverage it. In fact, our size right now, I would say, is a disadvantage because of some of the practices people are in about not sharing between teams and not asking someone on another team a question. I think within the next five years, we've talked about it here, one of my entry speeches when I go to a new team is, guys, we are here to solve problems, not write tools. Yeah. Not invented here, accordingly, kicks ass. Right. Right. And I do think within the next three to five years, I think the me needing to do that speech is probably going to die. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Let's find out. Oh, well, hold on a second. Do you – what – what is that? Mailbag! Hey, we have a question from the mailbag, Brent. I have a mailbag. Could you tell that was coming up? I have a mailbag question. Yeah, no, it was it I was have, a completely smooth segue. I could not see where you were going. But, shut up, so, Brent. So in the last three mailbags, you, you've done a dun-dun sound? Yeah. What is that supposed to be? I don't know. Okay. I, I just – look. It's an I don't, You're making it your own. I love it. I'm making it. it my own. It's – um. Blues Clues meets uh, – it, it kind of ends the reverb pretty well, I think. It does. It's fantastic. It, it's, I, it's kind of what I'm into. Um, I, I kind of envision uh, like a, a mailbox door slamming or you something know, I'm like not that. sure I, what it is, I, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to evolve over time. And in fact, you know, once we get up into, you know, I don't know how many mailbags we've done, and I'm, I'm actually probably too lazy to go look through for all of them, but maybe I'll make like a little mailbag uh, intro uh, compilation. I don't know. You know what's really sad about our podcast is I never uh, save what I cut out because there's there's crap on here that uh, we have a bloopers reel that you that that could sell millions. I think not. Well, not or or at least get us in lots of trouble. Like pesos. Yeah. Pesos, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey. Um, so what's the mailbag, Alan? I don't know. Uh, uh, Brett Hinton on Twitter asked. He said. He didn't really ask. He stated. He said, every time I listen to A-B testing episodes, I wonder, what do test specialists on Alan and Brent's team actually do? So I don't have test specialists well, on my team. So, Alan, what do test specialists... Are, did, did you have any on your last team? The answer is lots of different things because the specialists are specializing generalists in, in most cases. So we have on our team... For example, we have uh, some testers who are specialists in performance uh, and security. For example, let's let's first scope team. Are you talking about like your boss's team? So on or, my boss's uh, team. So we have uh, we are not, uh, despite what I've, I hope I didn't indirectly lead anyone to believe this. We're not a straight up unified engineering team we have a quality team which actually doesn't do a lot of testing we have test specialists we do some of the longer tests things around reliability investigation we do a lot of data sciencey stuff and analysis and reporting etc so that actually leads pretty well into what the test specialists on our team do so my manager's team is probably best described as a team of test specialists you could even say test and data specialists if you include um uh, some of the work there. Okay. Uh, so the pieces fit together. It's sort of that jigsaw puzzle. Brent's making a face at me. 
to do a lot of different things. My specialty is in, you know, I'm sort of the big picture guy. I'm my specialty is looking at everything that's going on and making sure the right things are happening. I also have a passion towards engineering efficiency. So I end up actually filling in a lot of work. I do as much work for our development team as I do for our team of test specialists. Let me ask, going back to the scope question, do you have any, any recent visibility to a unified engineering team at the, at the scrum team level? That actually has an in-place test specialist because I know I, know I haven't call, had one of those. I don't in know four if they years. call themselves test specialists. Uh, I do know of teams at Microsoft that have people that do much more big picture thinking, doing some performance testing or or uh, looking at uh, things around acceptance testing or or integration. I should say integration, how it pieces fit together. Uh, that probably describes the specialist role in general more. If I were to join some random scrum team at Microsoft, some team that had a scrum team, my role in that scrum team would be largely around making sure a lot of the big pieces fit together, that the the T's were getting crossed and the I's were being dot, dotted. And uh, I would probably do, if it was me, I would do as much work around, like I do on this team, around engineering efficiency as I did around making sure that the product was high quality. That's just that, that's leveraging my specialties. I can imagine, and if I were a hiring manager building a team, I would if I had someone who was really good at a test specialist who was good at actually the way you describe your team is the way I've described test teams for uh, many years. I don't want people that just can write a bunch of test automation. I want people who are great problem solvers and, when needed, can use code to solve those problems. I would say, so Alan and I have both, uh, God, what was it, three years ago. This, this used to be a, a, a topic Alan and I talked about a lot. We, we were in shared communities, and, and those communities talked about it a lot. This was before the unified engineering change, and we were trying to help. I wouldn't call it a change as much as a shift because probably, I don't know what percentage of Microsoft Teams are sort of unified engineering, but it's... Uh, I think a large portion of the you, you, you think it's a majority now? I, I do think Keep in mind, majority. Windows is not, for the most part. Windows is not. And, or OSG. Office. Mostly is. Mostly is. So maybe, maybe half. I don't know. The OSG, the operating systems group, is just so dang large. I think it skews um, majorities. But Alan and I, and I don't remember the whole list, but back in those days, two, three years ago, we we had a list of like, seven five to seven different things that we believed test would move into as a specialization that that the world around um uh everything that the engineering team doesn't want to pick up would would kind of begin to dissolve and i kind of see that is what's actually occurring that we see individuals sort of gravitate towards certain specializations mm-hmm. for example i'm moving towards um i wouldn't call it a test specialist i'll call it a quality specialist sure and the way i contribute to quality is via specializing in, in data science mm-hmm. i see other people um, focusing on the system as a whole um integration testing and scenario okay. so, testing so let me describe a little bit differently because we need to get toward i think i i've yeah i've, I've centered in on it is I think core, and I wrote up this in a blog post a while back, but the majority of engineers at Microsoft are sort of that core programmer, meaning design, implement, f- unit test, functional test, make sure my crap works. Right. Uh, the test specialists do the remainder. I hate, I know the remainder is stolen from Jimmo, Jim but uh, it's what else needs to happen? That's contextual for that product. It may be a little bit more for an on-prem product than what a I'm service saying, product. Um, the services is going to be leveraging uh, a lot more data analysis. What I'm saying is, is, is I absolutely do despise the remainder. But if there was a team of test specialists, I think the team absolutely would own the remainder. Um, but when you when you drill down into details i think you'll find that the world where there are individuals owning the remainder is rapidly dissipating 
Yeah, well, my that, role... That there's more of a specialization occurring. If you want to relate before, this to Microsoft roles, if I was going to be on that Scrum team, I would be as much as a software engineer as I would be the, the very technical PM on that team because I'm, I can't do the remainder by myself on that team, but I'm making sure it all gets done. So I'm... So it, and whether it's just making sure there's work items or for some of those illities or extras that have to get done because I look at software from a, a large, from a higher view than many of my peers. Uh, I see, okay, we're going to need to do this. I know about this. We need to do that. We're going to need to make sure we apply this tool here, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So what I've observed from, from, from Alan, um, and I haven't, uh, God, we've known each other forever, but I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time like shadowing Alan and, and uh, I mean, publicly. Yeah. Stalker! <laughs> uh, around um, how he does his day-to-day. But my understanding of it is that Alan, in a scrum parlance, likely has an affinity towards uh, the scrum master or the product owner type role. I believe that's more likely the the gap you end up filling because both of these are more. And, and I always evolve. So what you say today may be true. I may be different in three months or I was probably different three months On ago. the specifics, but you still generally look at the system. I'm a hole filler. And then you go repair the gaps. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm a hole filler. And I use my breadth to kind of figure out where holes need to be filled and prioritize those. I've been very lucky at that. You know, I've, I've talked about, I haven't had a manager tell me what to do in a decade at least, uh, they might give me some suggestions once in a while, but my job is to kind of figure out what needs to get done and then make sure it gets done. Yeah, and then one thing that you do that you don't really proselytize it well enough because I do think if others were to follow in your I suits, love it when you use words like proselytize that I have to go look up afterwards. You don't anyway, advertise it enough? No, I'm going with proselytize. Fair enough. The um, is Alan is also talented at when he finds that gap. Our arguing the business value for it, right? Uh, ICs on the team, if they were to just do Alan's algorithm, it, it would be just as likely to go well as it would bad for them, right? There's a focus on the business value. We are, Brent, full of great ideas. We are also out of out time. Out of time. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening this far in yet another episode of AB Testing. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we'll see you next time. Episode 19 next time. All right. Later.